our Christmas hymnody is important. Just as our music of the church, the music of the church is vital. But I'm grateful for the wonderful, wonderful music and the hymns and the songs and the spiritual songs that remind us of the truth of our Savior's birth. Now, we may say this a hundred times in the month of December. Don't ever forget that the main goal of Christ's birth was not his birth. The main goal of Christ's birth was his sacrificial death, his shed blood, and his glorious resurrection for the souls and salvation of mankind. And so let's not lose sight of that. His, his salvation and his gospel permeates every single aspect of the Christmas story, the very purpose of why Jesus came to begin with. But as we talk this morning, I want you to think with me about the place, the city, where Jesus was born. Now, I have to be careful with this because if I drop this and break it, I may lose my life before tonight. I can tell you that right now. As you think about that little tiny spot in the road for so many centuries, not just years, the city of Bethlehem. Why Bethlehem? Why not some other place? You ever wondered why? Why not Jerusalem? Jerusalem was the capital city of the Jewish people. It was called the city of God. It's the city of peace. It's where the temple was located. It's where their palace was located. It was the headquarters of Israel. Surely one would think that in the headquarters of Israel, that's where the Jewish Messiah would be born. And yet that's not how the Lord arranged it. That's not how he chose He chose an eternity past for his son, his Messiah, to enter this world in this tiny little village. Now, Bethlehem only has a population of, I would say, around 25,000 people. That's, that's, That's relatively small when you consider its importance right now in the Middle East and even in its proximity to Jerusalem, just six miles from Jerusalem. Today, Bethlehem is not even part of Israel any longer. It's part of the Palestinian-controlled West Bank. There is a small Christian population. Uh, There is a very large Muslim population. The only reason that they tolerate Westerners (laughs) coming into that region and even a handful of Jews coming into Bethlehem is because of the tourism industry. That, that, that keeps Bethlehem's economy stable somewhat. Through the centuries even, it has been a place that has never risen above hardship and struggle. Down through the centuries, it was fought over by the various armies of the empires of the invaders that would come in. Bethlehem seemed to be 
because of its proximity just six miles from Jerusalem. It seemed to be the perfect location for these squirmishes. It's a place that largely has been devastated so many times by these battles and the various invaders and things. But notice what God said in Micah 5.2. We sang just a few minutes ago this little Christmas hymn, O Little Town of Bethlehem. Why did we sing that song? Why was that song even written? It was written by a pastor named Phillips Brooks. He was a famous preacher of New England in the mid to late 1800s. Phillips Brooks, if you have studied preaching, and probably you may not have, but he's known for his famous lectures on preaching that he delivered at Yale University. He was instrumental, by the way, in introducing Helen Keller to Christianity. Brooks wrote the poem that later was turned into a song based on his memory and recollection of a trip that he took to the Holy Land in 1865. He was there at Christmas time. According to the story, Brooks traveled on horseback between Jerusalem and Bethlehem on Christmas Eve. He wrote these words, Before dark we rode out of town to the field where they say the shepherd saw the star. It is a fenced piece of ground with a cave in it, which, strangely enough, they put the shepherds. Somewhere in those fields we rode through, The shepherds back in the gospel must have been. As we passed, the shepherds there that night were still keeping watch over their flocks or leading them to the fold. He wrote this poem intending it to be used in their Christmas service of 1868 that they had geared for children. And he wrote this poem that was going to be read to these kids in the Christmas service. And just a few days before they had the Christmas service, he took the lines of the poem and he gave the poem to his organist, the church musician named Louis Redner. And he gave Redner strict instructions that, hey, by the time of the Christmas service, I need you to have put this to music. So Redner pondered and prayed and was at a loss. And he said, even as he went to bed, laid his head down on Christmas Eve, it's like he had no inspiration at all, had no idea what tune he was going to turn this poem into. And by his own admission, he said that it was almost like an angel woke him up. And he got up. And he began to write the tune that has been made famous. And so just hours after that, for the first time ever, they sang, O Little Town of Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread. It's generally believed that when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that he was not even born in a lodging place or a home or even a stable that the location was a cave. Historians are pretty certain that they believe that's where he was born. 
a cave that no doubt had been used, maybe even, you know, for, for, for centuries used as a place to lodge animals. We know that his body itself was placed in a manger, a feeding trough. And other than the fact that Bethlehem is the boyhood home of King David, there's really not that much significance that we find in the scripture about this little town of Bethlehem. That's why when we read a passage like Micah 5 2, it is it stands out to us. That hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus in this little town that God prophesied, listen, he said, But thou, Micah 5 2, but thou Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me. That is to be the ruler in Israel. Whose going forth, goings forth have been from of old. From everlasting. There are two significant things that we see in Micah 5 too. First of all we receive this prophecy from the Lord. The prophecy about Israel's ruler. Now we know that he's not speaking of just a mere man. He is referring to the Messiah, he that is to be the ruler in Israel. Well, you say, well, preacher, that could apply to any earthly king. But then he specifies this is not a mere earthly king. Notice what he says. That his, his goings forth have been from old. That's another way of saying from eternity. And then he gets very specific in case you will not have any doubt. He says from everlasting. In other words, this leader, this king, this Messiah is going to come from the Lord and he will come and arrive in Bethlehem. But make no mistake about the character and the uniqueness of this man, this Messiah, that he is from eternity. He's eternal. Well, ladies and gentlemen, only one can fit that category. And that's the Lord God himself. Would you turn to Matthew chapter 2? Micah is the prophecy. Matthew is it being lived out in real time. This is the fulfillment of the prophecy. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. They said, the scribes, the experts, the scholars, the priests, they said, in Bethlehem of Judea. For thus it is written by the prophet. By what prophet? By Micah, the prophet. And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. 
For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Why Bethlehem? What's the lesson that God wants us to learn from this passage here? Why did the Lord pick Bethlehem? What are the lessons that we can take away? First of all, let me say lesson number one. Never ever underestimate God's ability to fulfill His promise. Now this prophecy in Micah 5 too was hundreds of years before it was actually fulfilled. According to the stated prophecy here in Micah, the birthplace of this future ruler of Israel would be Bethlehem Ephrathah. You say, Christian, why did God, what does Ephrathah have to do with distinguishing it from anywhere else? Well, there were two locations in Israel known as Bethlehem at the time of Micah's prophecy. One was in the north in Galilee. Incidentally, it was near Nazareth. That's one of the reasons why there are some scholars who doubt that this Bethlehem here south of Jerusalem was the actual place of Jesus' birth. But there were two Bethlehems in that day. One was in Galilee in the north and one, Bethlehem Ephrathah, was in the south. It specifies the Bethlehem in Judah, the portion of Israel in which the capital, Jerusalem, was located. Well, how did Joseph and Mary, living in Nazareth, how was it that God got them down to Bethlehem? What was this couple doing that night in Bethlehem? Why were they there? Well, ladies and gentlemen, you know that a worldwide census or taxation had been ordered by Caesar Augustus or Octavius Caesar. Joseph was returning to his ancestral home, Bethlehem, for the, tax, the taxation. He was a descendant of David. Think about this for a moment. Mary and Joseph being Jewish people, having been trained in the Jewish law and prophecy, surely they would have been familiar with the prophecy about the Messiah. One writer states that they, Mary and Joseph, would have understood the scriptures and the prophecies concerning Israel's Messiah that he must be born in Bethlehem. He went on to write, it must have been truly amazing from their perspective to see the pieces of this messianic puzzle fall into place. Even if the pieces were official decrees from the Roman Empire. And I like that. That God and His sovereignty, He took these individuals living in a different location and He got them to the very spot where hundreds of years before He prophesied that His own Son was going to be born. But did you know, ladies and gentlemen, that's just one of the more than 300 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled when He came to this earth and gave His life to die? Over 300 Old Testament prophecies concerning the coming of the Messiah. Did you know that according to mathematicians, the statistical probability of one man fulfilling all 300 prophecies is absolutely astronomical. And yet God did just that. 
they say that the statistical probability would be the equivalent of this. Let's suppose today you had enough silver dollars to cover the state of Texas two feet deep in silver dollars. The state of Texas is big. Two feet deep in silver dollars all through the state of Texas. And let's say that you chose one of those silver dollars before they were ever laid out and you took a sharpie I mean, y'all like Sharpies. Amen. You took a Sharpie and you put a big X on just one of those coins. And then somebody scattered them. The statistical probability of one man, Jesus, fulfilling all of these 300 plus would be like you flying to Texas and you got one shot, one opportunity. To stick your hand down in that pile two feet deep across the state of Texas and grabbing one of those coins and pulling it out with that X on it. And yet that's exactly what God did when his son fulfilled perfectly all the prophecies concerning himself, the Messiah. That's why, ladies and gentlemen, listen carefully. When God makes you a promise, you can take it to the bank. And that's exactly what he wants you to do. Do you know how many promises in this book that I hold in my hand he's given to you and I? Over and over and over and over and over again, this Bible is full of of promises, promises to you. That's why when he tells you that he loves you, you can hang on to that. That's why when he promises to bless you when you obey and honor and bless him, you can hang on to that. That's why when he makes a promise to be near you, you can hang on to that. That's why when he promises to hear you when you pray and call on him, you can hang on to that. That's why when he promises I'll never leave you, or forsake you in spite of what you may go, be going through right now. I'm telling you, you can, you can hang on to that. Every, every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every line. It's yours. And he wants you to hang on to his promises. He wants you to personalize his promises. Thank God for the promises that he gives Never underestimate his ability and power to deliver good on his promises that he makes to you. He said the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And that's exactly where he was born. But there's a second lesson we learned that I want you to hang on to. Listen carefully. It's this lesson. Be careful not to miss what God is doing Right in your own midst. Be careful not to miss what God is doing right here in your own midst, in your own life, right in front of your face. You see, ladies and gentlemen, the reason Phillips Brooks, I started to say Brooks Phillips, (laughs) the reason Phillips Brooks wrote that song was 
the impression as he was riding and he was looking that night at the city of Bethlehem. And it was a dark night. The city was asleep. And he said, it struck me that on that night that God entered into the world through the womb of a woman and the body of a baby. That that city was asleep in the fact that they really didn't notice what was going on. It wasn't just the Jewish king that was born. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, it was the king of kings that was being born. And Bethlehem, for the most part, missed it they overlooked him they didn't wake up he was a stranger to them can I say it this way they could have cared less about that little baby they missed him and the greatest act up to that point that God had ever done asleep there's a modern adaptation to this hymn old little town it's entitled while you were sleeping it's written by a man named Mark Hall listen to the words old little town of Bethlehem looks like another silent night above your deep and dreamless sleep giant star lights up the sky while you're lying in the dark there shines an everlasting light for the king has left his throne and is sleeping in a manger tonight oh Bethlehem what have you missed while you were sleeping for God became a man and stepped into your world today oh Bethlehem you will go down in history as a city with no room for its king while you were sleeping. Oh, little town of Jerusalem, he goes on, looks like another silent night. The father gave his only son the way, the truth, the life had come. But there was no room for him in the world he came to save. Jerusalem, what you have missed while you were sleeping. The Savior of the world was dying on your cross today. Jerusalem, you'll go down in history as a city with no room for its king. While you were sleeping. Then he goes on. United States of America. Looks like another silent night. As we're sung to sleep by philosophies that save trees and kill the children. And while we're lying in the dark, there's a shout heard across the eastern sky. For the bridegroom has returned and has carried his bride away in the night. And that's going to happen one day, ladies and gentlemen. America, what will you miss while we are sleeping? Will Jesus come again and leave us slumbering where we lay? America, will we go down in history as a nation with no room for its king? While we're sleeping. 
I want to say to us ladies and gentlemen in this room today, I'm afraid that the same could be said of us as Christians so often that while we're sleeping, we miss opportunities. While we're sleeping, we miss divine appointments that we have failed to maximize in our rush and haste and relational spiritual fog. I'm afraid there are a lot of things we're missing as a church and as individual Christians. There's so much God wants to do. There's so much that God wants to be up to in our midst right here, in my life, in your life, in the life of your family. In our church life, and I'm afraid while we're sleeping, we're missing it. I could apply this as a parent. Oh, parents, please, don't be asleep at the wheel right now. Your kids are growing quicker than you can even imagine, and they're growing up. Thomas Rouse told me 16 and a half years ago nearly as I stood right back there holding my little firstborn baby in my arms one Sunday night after church. He said, Brother Christian, don't blink. I looked at him like, why? I didn't get it. And then he told me and I got it. And sure enough, you parents know what I'm talking about, don't you? I look at these little babies, and they're not babies anymore. Mine aren't babies anymore. And I think about what I've missed. You say, where you been? <laughs> I don't know. Same place you've been. Right? I wish I could go back and do some things differently. Say some things differently. Handle some things differently. We don't ever get that chance, though, do we? I know when I stand at the judgment seat of Christ, He's going to reveal things I've missed, opportunities, situations that were God appointed, God things. And I just missed it. I was too busy. I was caught up in me or caught up in work. Y'all know preachers work a little bit, right? Caught up in stress, caught up in rushing around trying to get such and such done. Can I encourage us today, especially in these days, make it a point to slow down. Pause and pray, be sensitive to the voice and spirit of God, lest we too miss what God is doing right before our very eyes. Hang with me, okay? 
Let me give you this last one, but don't, 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 don't leave me emotionally. Okay. Don't leave me mentally. Statement number three. Remember that God loves to use the little, the overlooked, the problematic, and the ordinary to impact the world. Bethlehem was considered little. In fact, literally, this is how the prophecy is read in Micah 5 2. Basically, Bethlehem, even though you are too little, you're too small, you're too insignificant. You ever been told you're too little? I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you can't play in this game, you're too little. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you can't ride this roller coaster, you're too little. <laughs> or as I might be told, uh, you're too big. You can't. <laughs> you, that seat's only. <laughs> no. You're too little. Well, you're too little, Bethlehem. Be the birthplace of the Messiah. <laughs> and yet, booyah, that's exactly what God did. You know what I think? In fact, based on 1 Corinthians one twenty six, listen to what he said. For you see your calling, brethren, not how not many wise, after, wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things, the things which are despised. Yet hath God chosen these to bring to naught things that are. Why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. Sunday school class, which is what we talked about this morning. That nobody gets the glory but God. See, I can explain if, it, man, it just makes sense to me if Jesus had been born in Jerusalem. <laughs> if he'd have been born in a palace, that makes sense. <laughs> that would be my thinking. <laughs> but God did something totally radical, totally different, so that you and I today could sit here and learn the lesson. Because I guarantee you, there's some of you sitting out there right now, and you think you're pretty small. You think you're pretty insignificant. You don't have much to offer. You're all messed up. You're problematic. Just like Bethlehem was. Oh Lord, I've got a complicated, problematic life. What in the world can you do with this? Hear me. He loves to take the this. And astound the world with it. He loves to take the obscure, the unnoticed, the mundane, the rejected, and the thrown away. And boy, look what he can do with that that is so insignificant and messed up and small. As broken and broken and problematic and inferior and less than and not as good and non-influential and messed up as you think you are. God says that you are the perfect candidate for him to use. And aren't you glad of that this morning, church?
I don't know where you are this morning or what the Holy Spirit has spoken to you about. Somebody here, though, needs to claim one of his promises. And you need to rest in it. Because maybe you thought his promises were good for everybody else, but not for you. The greatest promise he's ever made is that for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For God did so love the world that he did give his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I beg you this morning to give your life to Jesus Christ. Say yes to him today. You're the candidate. No one is in this room by accident and he has just for you brought you here for such a time as this. What promise do you need to claim? The promise of peace, the promise of joy, the promise of forgiveness, the promise of power. For some of us this morning, the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, Christian pal, you need to slow down. You need to stop and wake up. Realize what's happening around you spiritually and relationally. And you need to get in tune with me. He's telling some of us that right now. Will you do that today?